Our scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. Book of John, 21, 15 through 19. It's page 1688 in your pew Bibles. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Do you love me, he said. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Word of the Lord. I have a friend, believe it or not. I have a friend who has a son and let's call them Kevin and Mike. When Mike turned one, my friend Kevin and his wife read in a parenting magazine about all the benefits of getting a dog for a baby. So after spending months of researching and searching, they finally adopted the rescue dog called, named Dublin. As you can imagine, it was a busy season for my friend. Hanging out with him, or as I like to call it, bro time, back then meant that I would come over to his house and babysit and dog sit with him. The baby Mike, for some reason, loved this stuffed dinosaur. The funny thing is that the stuffed dinosaur wasn't for him, it was for Dublin. And sweet Dublin thought that he was playing, Mike was playing keep away. So he often brought this dinosaur to Mike and tried to yank it away from him without taking it too far. But Mike, he wasn't playing any games, so he hit Dublin on the head. You know how babies normally hit with their palms kind of half open, right? They quarter wind up and they go uh, 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 like they repeatedly hit, right? But Mike, Mike was more like prime Mike Tyson. He was ruthless and vicious. He was throwing hooks across Dublin's face. So Kevin intervened and said to Mike, Hey, Mike, be gentle. But, nah. Wham! Another hit. So Kevin raised his voice slightly and said, Hey, Kevin, or Mike, I said gentle. Uh Uh-uh. Wham! And this went on for a while, and finally Kevin was fed up, and he said, Hey, Mike, I said gentle. The irony, of course, is that Kevin was trying to teach Mike how to be gentle, but in doing so, he forgot how to be gentle himself. 
George Washington Bethune was a Reformed pastor in the 19th century, and he wrote a little book on the fruit of the Spirit. Can you guys guess what the title was? The Fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, yeah. They, were, they really didn't care about catchy titles back then. Um, he opens his chapter on gentleness with these words. Perhaps no grace is less prayed for or less cultivated than gentleness. And seldom do we reflect that not to be gentle is sin. These words are just as true today as they were when he wrote these words in 1839. Well, why is that? Christian scholars argue that we undervalue and overlook this virtue of gentleness because while we, under, while we are used to the word, we do not know what it means. Most people, including Christians, associate gentleness with weakness or a lack of power, but it's actually neither. The simplest definition of gentleness is power under control. It assumes that we already have power. This virtue at its core is about how we use that power. That's what we are going to explore today. We're going to look at how Jesus exercised his power under control. And our story takes place after Jesus' resurrection. He was sitting around the fire with Peter and a few of his disciples. Now think about how fragile the relationship between Peter and Jesus was at this point. According to John 13, the night before Jesus was captured, Peter told Jesus that he would lay down his life for him. But the very next day, when Jesus was captured, Peter denied him three times. Imagine the guilt shame and remorse that Peter must have carried since that day. Now he's sitting in front of Jesus once again. Are we good? Am I still your disciple? Peter probably wanted to look up, make eye contact, and ask those questions. But how could he after all that he had done? Jesus held, held all the power in the world to decide what was going to happen to their relationship. He could, have, he could have rebuked Peter, condemned him, punished him, shamed him, or done something else to put him in his place. But instead, Jesus calmly asked three essentially identical questions. Simon, son of John, do you love me? What a strange question. He could have done anything. He could have asked any questions, but this is what he chose to ask. He could have asked, why did you deny me only a day after telling me that you would lay down your life for me? But this is the question that Jesus chose to ask. Not just once, not just twice, but three times. And notice how Jesus called Peter. He doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon, son of John. Simon was Peter's birth name. In John 1.42, when Jesus called Peter, these, this is what he said. You are Simon, son of John. 
you will be called Cephas. Then John tells us that Cephas, when translated, means Peter. The point is that when Jesus called Peter to be his disciple, he also gave Peter a new identity by renaming him. So in John 21, when Jesus addressed Peter as Simon, son of John, it's as if their relationship reverted to how it was before Jesus called him to to be his disciple. That's a power move by Jesus. Jesus was not letting anything slide or turning a blind eye to Peter's triple denials. Nothing here suggests that Jesus was weak or powerless. But Jesus did not use his power to rebuke, condemn, or shame Peter because Peter and Jesus both knew what Peter had done. They both knew how much damage Peter's action had done to their relationship. And most importantly, they both understood how Peter felt about the situation. So Jesus exercised his power under control. He was gentle. Let's return to the story about my friend Kevin and his son Mike for a bit. When Mike was throwing haymakers at Dublin, Kevin acted gently so that Mike would learn how to be gentle. And Kevin let Mike know, right? He let Mike know that it was not okay to hit another living thing. And he'd do so without yelling and rebuking, well, for the most part. But eventually he got fed up. He got fed up, he got fed up with saying, be gentle. And he forgot what his gentleness was for. He forgot that it was for Mike. And Kevin was no longer thinking about what was best for Mike, but what was best for himself. So in the heat of the moment, he forgot to be gentle and yelled at his son. And this brings up a crucial point about gentleness. Our gentleness is not for ourselves. Our gentleness is for others. The moment we fail to remember that gentleness is for others is the moment that we put our self-interest first and begin thinking about how we are going to use our power to make our lives easier. So think with me for a minute. Think about how you interact with different people with different levels of power. Right? I bet you most of us tend to be gentle toward people who have more power than us, like our bosses, right? But is our gentleness toward our, the, the powerful people, is our gentleness really genuine? Are we gentle towards power, powerful people because it benefits us or because it benefits them? If our gentleness is not for ourselves, then is that really gentleness. I'm afraid not. Christ-like gentleness is power under control for the sake of others. Think about the power dynamics in John 21. When Jesus showed his gentleness to Peter, it was for Peter. And I wonder if we could have done the same thing, if we could have acted so gently toward Peter if we were in Peter's shoes or Jesus' shoes, excuse me. Think with me for a moment. If someone wrongs you in any way, now you have 
power over that person. For example, I'm not saying it happened to a particular person or anything like that, but when a boyfriend forgets his girlfriend's birthday, suddenly who has all the power in the world? Right? The girlfriend does. If you were the girlfriend, how would you use that power? How would you exercise that power? Gentleness does not mean, I remind you, it doesn't mean that we let things slide or we turn a blind eye. If you got something to say, then say it, but the Bible tells us to do it gently. Exercise our power under control, and not for our sake, but for their sake. Not in a way that shames or condemns them, but in a way that trains and nurtures them. Perhaps the biggest kryptonite to Christian gentleness is contentious discussion. We've all been there. Whether we're talking about politics, culture, or what's going on with the Packers, we think we know the truth. We think we know better. And we think we have the power to prove others wrong and put them in their place. And when it comes to Christianity, this has always been a huge problem because the fact of the matter is we have the gospel truth. We have the power. So we should use our power to defend and share the gospel truth, but the Bible tells us to do it with gentleness. Not to prove them wrong, but to point them to the truth. Not in a way that belittles them, but in a way that uplifts them. Of course, it would be much easier for us to use our power for our own self-interest and condemn people and shame them. And in our world today, frankly, that's what's happening with this so-called cancel culture. But we do not belong to the world. We belong to Christ, and he used his power for others. He did not use his power to prove that he was right and that Peter was wrong. He simply showed Peter what was right. What was right? That is what genuine gentleness looks like. And Jesus calls us to the same standard. And that takes real love. Love is the motivation and reason for gentleness. In John 21, the love of Christ was displayed in the form of his gentleness. Jesus did not ignore the triple denials of Peter. In fact, he recalled them by asking three questions. But these three questions were not for Jesus either. They were for Peter three opportunities to make up for three mistakes. But there was more. Despite his failed loyalty, Peter still loved Jesus. But Peter could no longer base his love for Jesus on himself. He tried that before. Remember, he told Jesus that he would lay down his life for him. So Peter told Jesus, now... He appealed to Jesus' knowledge of his heart and of his love for him. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. On that Galilee shore, sitting around that fire, 
Jesus held all the power in the world to do whatever he pleased to the relationship that he had with Peter. He could have rebuked him, shamed him, disowned him. Even after Peter made that heartfelt appeal to Jesus' knowledge of his heart, Jesus could have easily said, you're no longer my disciple. But Jesus does not do any of those things. But he simply showed Peter what was right, that to love Jesus is to feed and take care of Jesus' sheep. Put simply, to love Jesus is to love others. I'm sure most of you know the famous French emperor, Napoleon Bonaparte. He used every ounce of his power to conquer, rule, and he became eventually the most powerful man in the world. But in the end, he lost it all and spent the rest of his life on a remote island, on the remote island called St. Helena. In the end, at the end of his life, he reflected on how he used his power and he said this, Alexander the Great, Caesar, Charlemagne the Great, and I have founded empires. But on, 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 on what do we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force, power. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this very moment, millions of men would die for him. I wonder if Napoleon was thinking about Peter when he said those words, because Peter did die for Jesus. After this famous exchange, Jesus predicted the kind of death that Peter would face. And we are told that after predicting the death, Jesus said, follow me, presumably to his death. And we are told that Peter did follow. The same man who once denied his Lord three times to save his skin was now ready to fulfill the promise that he once made to his Lord to lay down his life for Jesus. And the question is, how is this change even possible? It was possible because Peter experienced the love of Christ in the form of his gentleness. Because Jesus did not rebuke him, shame him, or condemn him, but gently convicted him of his sins and failures, forgave him, and showed him what was right. And when Peter followed Jesus to his death, Peter also rose with him to his gentleness. And for the rest of his lives, Peter tried to replicate the gentleness that he once received from his master. And he even wrote the words that I referenced earlier. Always be ready to defend the gospel truth, but do so with gentleness. Let me close with a wonderful story about gentleness that I heard from Tim Keller in one of his gazillion sermons. After a Sunday service, a woman came to him and said to him, Pastor, I just want you to know that I'm not a Christian, but I've been coming to this church for a while, and I'm going to keep coming. Keller said, hey, tell me about it. Why are you as a non-Christian coming to this service? 
She said, well, I work on Wall Street, and I'm in a senior management position. I report to the VP of our company. A couple of months ago, I made a huge, huge mistake, and the CEO of the company called me and the VP to his office, and he was just giving it to me. He was livid, and rightly so. My mistake was huge. It cost the company a lot of money. But then suddenly, the VP intervened and said to the CEO, with all due respect, sir, you need to direct that toward me because it's not her fault. That was my decision. I am responsible for that decision. And everything went pretty well after that. As we left the office, I turned to the VP and said, throughout my career, I've taken plenty of blames for what others have done. But never before had anybody taken a blame for what I have done. But you just did that. Why did you do that? What motivated you? What motivated you to do that? The VP, without hesitation, said to her, well, I'm a Christian, and I have a Savior who took the blame for me. And that was it for her. She had to know who this gentle Savior was. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we do have a Savior who took the blame for us. While yet we were still sinners, he did not condemn us, shame us, or rebuke us. He gently convicted us of our sins, forgave us. Then he showed us what was right. Christ's Christian gentleness is not an easy task. It takes real Christian love. But we have experienced that love in the form of Jesus' gentleness. And like Peter, Jesus has called us to take up our crosses and follow him presumably to his death on the cross. But that death is not the end of our story. It's not. When we follow Christ to our death, we will also rise with him to his gentleness. And all God's people said, Amen. Now we're going to have a time of reflection. Um, I want us to think about this virtue of gentleness, how we've been gentle in the past, how we have not. Um, think about the ways that we could improve. The worship team will lead us in this, and as usual, we will conclude by singing, Take, O, oh, Take Me As I Am.